We have been in the book of 1 John, and I thought about making a big, um, a, a big slide that said rabbit trail, and here's why. As we've been talking in 1 John, we've been talking about uh, so much of 1 John is about this assurance that we have. You know, he, John says, I write this so that you may know, and he says, this is this, so you may know, so you may know, so you can have this assurance, and the problem is sometimes in our lives, we don't have that assurance. Sometimes in our lives, we struggle with doubt. We struggle with these, these issues that, that, that can be deep for us, that, that can be difficult, and our problem is, so much of the time, we feel like in the church or in a Christian community, we can't really talk about that. You're not supposed to talk about how you're doubting. Why? Because that's kind of like admitting that you're failing or something. You know, to admit that you're struggling is, is, is somehow embarrassing. And so we have trouble saying that. We have trouble saying, you know, ah, man, I want to follow Christ, but I really struggle with this, or I doubt this, or, you know, I have a problem with this. What about this Old Testament thing? What about this thing? Whatever it is. And it can be a lot of different things in our lives. And so I wanted to talk about dealing with doubts I, this morning, simply because I've noticed that it's something that comes up, and, and, and because this is an important issue in the life of a church, in the life of a believer, because sometimes, every one of us, there are times when we can struggle with doubts. There, there are times when we struggle with difficult issues. And, and uh, someone may say, you know, Bob, all this stuff you talk about, it sounds great. I'd love to believe it. But I got problems here. Or you say, I'm, I'm trying to be a follower of Christ. And what you talk about sounds great. And I don't know if I'm experiencing that. I, I think there's something wrong with me. I'm struggling with that. I don't know about this. And we have to understand one thing. We have to understand that doubts are normal and they're expected to be, to happen at different times in our lives. But the question is then, if I'm struggling with something, how do I deal with it? And I want to get practical that way. How do I deal with doubt? Now, we talked... We touched on this in a sense last week. We talked about what faith is. We started defining it. And, and I want you to see what it says in Scripture here. I have t uh, two versions up for this. Uh, the NIV says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Hebrews 11.1. Uh, and then King James it says, Now faith is the substance, and I like that word, substance, of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, this idea of faith, how does it tie in with what we were talking about last week? And, and there's a couple of key words here where it says in the NIV, be, being sure, or substance in the King James. That's that Greek word. It's a Greek word. It's hypostasis. And it has this idea of a foundation. It's something that guarantees something that is to come. It is an assurance of something that is, that is true, it's, uh, it's used in ancient literature in the ancient Near East. It's, it's used in ancient literature as, uh, uh, for these documents that attest to a contract that has, that has been, been made, a promise like a title deed. Okay, So there's, there's something to it. A promise has been made. A foundation has been laid. That's what he's talking about there. Now, uh, my wife and I are... Uh, Coming up on our, 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 our anniversary in June, and, and I've been thinking about um, some sort of little trip we'll take to, to do something together and uh, something to celebrate. We, we've been, it'll be our 38th anniversary. We've had, yeah, 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 we've had, man, 20 good years. Um, um, so if I say to my wife, right, if I say to my wife, okay, 
I got something. This is what we're going to do. This is going to be so awesome for our anniversary. We're, we're, we're going to go to Alaska. I'm sure you've always wanted to go to Alaska, and I don't know that she's ever, but I said, we're going to go to Alaska. So get packed. Get ready to go. And my wife, because she knows me, you know, she'd say, what are we going to do in Alaska? And I said, I don't know. You know, we're going to visit the Inuits, the Eskimos, build a gigloo. We're going um, to go, you know, baby seal hunting. I don't know what we're going to do. Um, <laughs> Boy, gosh, how do these things come out of my mouth? I'm sorry. Okay. We're going to go do stuff. We're gonna, it's going to be so fun. And she goes, oh, that sounds awesome. Okay, have you booked the hotel rooms? Well, no, not yet. Oh, do we have a guide for this trip if we're going to go out into the... Uh, no, of course not yet. And a rental car? No. Airline tickets? Not yet. So many questions. And then my wife would say, okay, so I'm not packing. Why? Because you have done nothing to show me this trip is going to happen other than just think about it. There is no foundation that has been laid that I can put any trust in. You know? She said, if you had some tickets, some airline tickets to Alaska, then I'd go, okay, now there's something I can trust in. A foundation has been laid. We can build on that foundation, but I can, I, that's something, I, and see, here's the, that's the word he's using. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. There is a foundation that I can hang on to. But I'm not going to take any action until I can trust the person that that person is telling the truth. And so God is saying, here's what's happening. I'm doing this for you. Right? I've accomplished this salvation. Not only that, I've, I've arranged everything so that at the end of your life, you will come to me. You'll spend eternity with me. This is, I'm telling you this. And he says, now believe me on this. Look at, look at everything I've done. Look at everything about me and make a decision whether you can trust me or not, because I am taking these steps to do this. So faith is being sure of what we hope for. But also it says it's being certain of what we do not see. Now that word is where it says certain or in the King James where it says, it says evidence. This, this is a word that has this idea of it's a trial and, and there's been a conviction. That means there's been a charge and then evidence has been produced to verify the charge and action has been taken because of the evidence that is believed because of the charge that has been charged. And so there's this results of the charge. This is also including the acknowledgement of the person who is charged that they are guilty. It's that whole process of bringing evidence, establishing evidence, conviction is obtained, person admits their guilt, all of that. That whole process is kind of wrapped up in that word. And so he's saying, I'm laid this, there's the foundation that we can stand on. And he says, but, and there is evidence of the things that are not seen. And what is he saying there? He's saying, I want you to go through that process of figuring out what the evidence is, understanding the evidence, weighing the evidence, making decisions based on the evidence, which goes back to last week when we talked, that's what faith is. Faith is not blind faith. I mean, I know everybody loves it in, in the uh, Indiana Jones movie where he comes to the chasm and, and he, you know, the righteous man his steps by faith and he just steps out. But that's not really a great example because he had nothing to go on there. If that's just blind faith. And that's what a lot of people's idea of faith is, is, blind, is just blind faith. But it's, it, biblically, it's not. We have this process that we're supposed to go through. And what does it mean? 
this process of investigation that ultimately leads me to say, this is true. I believe it. Therefore, I will act upon it. And the Bible talks about this process all the time. In Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. What is David saying there? Okay, well, what do you do when you taste? You know, you get something you're not sure. They say, oh, this is good. Try it. Okay. And you taste it because now it becomes real to you. Someone can describe the taste. This is awesome. But once you taste it, it becomes real to you. And he's saying, taste and see the Lord is good. Go through that process. Investigate and see. You will see, he says, that the Lord is good. So David says, try it out. Check it out. And this is where we have problems with our idea that, that, that people, you know, it's kind of, we see this in our society sometimes, that people come to God in this flash of light, this instant experience. Now, that happens sometimes. But most of the time, it's a process. It's a process of tasting and seeing, of trying, of working through and seeing the results over time rather than some sort of an instantaneous flash in the, in, in the dark and you're, you're totally changed. And, and I don't want to belittle that because that happens to some people. But Jesus even talks about this process. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. And what is he saying there? People who say, I'm going to do God's will, they discover as they go. Their faith grows. Their knowledge grows. Their joy grows because it's a process that we go through. Understand that. And so faith is this process of investigating what God says is true and placing my trust in what he tells me. Okay, which leads me to this. We've talked about that faith, but how do I deal with doubts? And, and, and Frederick Buchner said, if you don't have any doubts, you're either kidding yourself or you're asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and they keep it moving. Doubts are serious, okay? But doubt does not mean unbelief. It means there's more than one option that seems viable at, at, at any given time. That's what doubt is. I'm not sure which of these two is the right one. And so the key here is that we don't suppress doubts. We get them out in the open and we examine them. If you're struggling with something, if you're struggling with something that's mathematics, something with numbers, what do you do? You find someone who knows more about it than you do, and you ask them to help you, and they help you. That's why in my family, with five kids, when some of my younger kids, when they would say, Dad, this, you know, this, these addition problems are hard, I would say, ask your brother. He's way better at it than I am. He actually knows what he's talking about. Ask him. Ask someone who knows. Ask someone you trust. And so it is incredibly important for us in times where we struggle to be open and honest and to actually talk to people about it. Too many times we feel like I'm not supposed to tell anyone. I'm not supposed to admit that I'm struggling. I'm not supposed to admit that I'm having a tough time right now in my faith. And I don't, I don't want, what will people think? You know, what, what, would, people, what would people think if, if, if you know, I'm a pastor, and sometimes I, I struggle with doubts. Something comes and it gets me, and I'm like, ah. and I have to work through this process of dealing with it. And so it's really good to be willing to talk to somebody. And I want to say this, boy, I hesitate to do this, but there's my email address for the whole world to see. Oh, this doesn't go out on the internet. I'm safe. Um, but if you're, if you're struggling with something, let me know. 
I'll, you know, shoot me an email, I'll shoot you my phone number, we'll talk, we'll set up. I mean, that's, that's part of, of, of what God wants me to do here at this church is to deal with these kind of issues. And, and those kind of issues are ones that have been dealt with before, and so it, it is not something that, there's nothing off the table, there's nothing that's uh, outside of the limits of, of what we could talk about. We t- and what I want to just mention this too is we're there. We talked a little bit in First John about these two steps of authentication that happens to know truth in, a, in the life of a believer. All right? The first step is the witness of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's a very subjective witness. It's not an objective witness. It's a subjective witness, but it is a witness in our life. The Holy Spirit impresses upon us sometimes, guides us sometimes, but it has to be followed by the second step of authentication, and that is the witness of the Word. The witness of the word is objective. So we have an inward subjective witness that pushes us towards truth, and we have an outward objective witness, the word of God that leads us to the truth, and both those together are what we need. And so we need to cultivate our relationship with the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? We worship with other believers, just like we've done here. We serve with other believers. We study the word the word and the problems that we are dealing with. We pray. So as we talk about how do I deal with doubts, the first one I want you to see is I want you to see you can dare to doubt. Do, you, it's okay to doubt. I love this passage, one of my favorite passages. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has, the, has this child been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, the, the disciples had already tried, and other people had tried, and no one could help this kid, right? And so this guy's at his wit's end. He's afraid one of these days he's going to lose his son through, a, through a, an accident, a tragedy, whatever. And he says, if you can do anything. Now, <clears throat> right there, that little phrase tells you that he doesn't have complete confidence in Jesus, right? If you can just do anything. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Now, Jesus lays it to him. He says, if you will believe, anything is possible here. If you will believe, just believe. And this is a great thing. There's an honest man right here. Immediately, the boy, and notice it's immediately. If you believe, and he's, he's on it. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What is he saying? I do believe, but I got some doubts, Jesus. I'm struggling on this. And I can understand. He's saying, Jesus, you gotta understand, there's been a lot of people that have said, believe me, I can help your son, and none of them have, including these 12 losers you got with you hanging around you here. Those guys said, they they said, oh yeah, (laughs) watch us, and then nothing happened, right? And they're all arguing with each other over why nothing happened. And so this guy's like, Jesus, you got to understand, man, I'm struggling with doubts here. Help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. I love that because I'm that way a lot of times. I say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm struggling with this. This 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 is hard for me. And what's great is Jesus doesn't go, oh, got a little unbelief in there, I see. Well, you get that straightened out, and then we'll talk. You get your belief, I need at least... 100% belief, maybe 120%, which is impossible, I know. But get your belief up and all. No, Jesus says, okay, that's good. I'm with you. Why? 
I think why is because he's honest. God values honesty. Jesus says, okay, you're struggling with unbelief. I can work with that. You got a little belief here. Let's go. And so you dare to doubt. You understand. I can, I can work with this. Jesus can work with this. Because you have to understand this. I mean, this is one of the things that's interesting. This is one of the great things about being old. There's not very many great things about being old. But this is one of the great things about being old. Over a long period of time, and being a person who over a long period of time, at different times, struggled with doubt, struggled with various issues in the Bible and what what it says and how can I believe that and all that kind of stuff, I want to tell you something. Most of the stuff that you will struggle with here, unless you're older than me, which there's a few here that are, is stuff that everybody, they've been, it's been worked through. There's nothing new under the sun. And what you will find is the things that may be causing you doubt right now in 10 years will be totally figured out and solved and won't be an issue for anyone. Let me just just real quick, some illustration. Years ago, for people who didn't believe in that the Bible was true, one of the big things they would say is There's, there were no Hebrews in Egypt we have no evidence, archaeology, archaeologically, of Hebrew people being in Egypt. Therefore, see, and that's how this works. The Bible's false. And I can remember many years ago talking to people going, how can I believe it? If there weren't Hebrews in Egypt, how can I believe the Bible? Because that's such a huge thing that is obviously wrong. You know this story. Okay, lo and behold, there were Egypts. There were Egypt. There were Hebrews in Egypt, uh, um, where they built some of the great. You know, we think the pyramids are the great thing. The tomb complexes they built were way more intricate and hard to build than the than the pyramids, and whole whole little cities would spring up to build a tomb for an emperor for you know for a pharaoh. And what they would do oftentimes is they didn't want to waste parchment. That was very expensive. And so pottery shards, pieces of pottery, they would write instructions. I need, you know, 20 kilograms of this, or I need this, 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 and signed by the person who is requisitioning that. And they're finding pottery shards written in Hebrew because Hebrew workers were at work on those places. And now it's just snowballed. They found tons of it. So now no one... No one thinks there weren't Hebrews in Egypt at approximately the time the Bible says they were there. No one thinks that anymore. I mean, that's just, but people gave up their faith over that. People stopped believing over that. And it turns out that the experts at that time were wrong. They were wrong. Um, we have in the last 20 years, 25, I spoke about here at church, I've spoken about this in some other place. In the last 25 years, the historical accuracy of the four Gospels has been proven beyond a doubt. The historical accuracy of the four Gospels has, it's, it's stunning. It's stunning what has happened with the names and with all these different things the four Gospels have been proven to be written by eyewitnesses who were there at the time or someone who was with an eyewitness, knew an eyewitness, and 
all the events, the places they talk about, the people they talk about, the things that were done, the way the, the way, you know, the geography, everything is absolutely historical and accurate. Now, that doesn't mean the, the, the miracles are proven. It just means the way those, those books are written, they are historically accurate, written by eyewitnesses. That's an incredible thing that has happened because it used to be that, man, they thought maybe the, the four Gospels were all assembled around 150, 200 A.D., and now they're finding fragments way back, way back, less than, a, less, less than 30 or 40 years after the death of Christ, they're starting to find parts of these books. So it's just, it's, it's snowballing, and it's been fairly recent. It's been fairly recent. And there were people who stopped believing over that. They stopped believing it. And even today, you will meet people today who will still say, oh, you know, it was written hundreds of years later, and, and they, they just are so far behind the curve, and they, maybe they don't want to know. I don't know. But just realize this. Some of the things that you might struggle with are things that there's a good chance in 10 to 20 years they're going to figure out. So be careful when you say, I, God, it's, I, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. Because there have been many proofs against, proofs against the Bible that ultimately have been reversed. And now they'll just find new reasons not to believe. But dare to doubt. Be willing to doubt. Be willing to be open to it, to talk to people about it. Second thing, how do I deal with doubts? Not only dare to doubt, but open yourself up to grow. All right, what do I mean by that? Doubts are opportunities to grow in your faith. Because sometimes something like this will hit you, and you just don't want to rest until you figure out what the answer is. And that's okay. That's okay. Because that's why God says, come let us reason together, says the Lord. Let us work this out together. Come talk to me about that. God says, let me be a part of you investigating this process and figuring out what's true here. There's great resources available. You know, you know there's, there's books, there's the internet, there's, there's people you can talk to. And doubts can deepen your faith, not ruin your faith. You know, at a young age, for many of us, we learn that God is, you know, we'll hear God is love. And then as we grow, the world kind of barges in. And we see the world is a very unloving place. And suddenly it's easy to wonder if God is so loving, why does this happen? And why did that happen? And why did that happen? And, the, and you know, in Mozambique and the floods in the Midwest and this and that and all this. Why are these things happening if God is so loving? And, and from our perspective, God's love is incredibly inefficient. But we have to understand, what is the nature of love? Love takes a long time. Love doesn't work by force. Love seeks the free response, of, free response of the people who are being loved. Love seeks to work through us. Love seeks to use us to bring peace, to bring justice, to bring mercy. It invites. Love sacrifices. Love calls. Love pursues. But love doesn't force. And so when we say God is love, it's not just for children when we looked at that in 1 John, I think that's one of the deepest, most pivotal points of Scripture. Because when we look at the different dimensions of that verse that we maybe learned God is love at a young age, what it does is it begins to integrate the reality of pain that's going on in our world and the reality of suffering, and it integrates us in our faith, and our faith grows and develops because we understand something. We understand God loves me and He's with me, but it doesn't mean necessarily He shields me from every bad thing. 
because he knows sometimes these things accomplish something in our life. One time I, I met a, a young lady, and she, we were, I talked about the Apostle Paul and his thorn in the flesh, that God had given him a thorn in the flesh, and blah, blah, blah. And she came to me, and she said, so you're saying God inflicted this pain on the Apostle Paul. That's what you're saying. God did that. And I was like, yeah, it says it. And she goes, I can't believe in a God who inflicts pain on the people he loves. Who would do that? And she's walking away, and I said, a doctor, a parent, a husband, a wife, a father, a mother. There's a million examples of people. I mean, how many times have some of us been at the doctor's office, and he's saying, okay, this is going to hurt, right? But, but when I'm done, you'll be better. And be like, no, you're inflicting pain on me. He's like, well, do you want to get well? One time I was, in, I was in a doctor's office, and it was a painful experience. And so I was, yeah, I'm a wimp. I was yelling. And, uh, and, uh, and I said, so I said uh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, I feel, I feel so bad for your other patients. <laughs> you know, they're in this, and they're ah! like that. And, uh, and he says, that's okay. <laughs> this room is soundproof. Now take a deep breath. <laughs> I was like, no! <laughs> I was like, oh, you, if it was not against the law. Um, but sometimes, sometimes, God, why? And he tells Paul why. See, this is the thing. He tells Paul why. He said, if you didn't have this, this is what would happen to you, and it would shipwreck you. It would ruin you. I've done this out of my great love for you. So God is with me. God loves me. He doesn't necessarily shield me from things. Why? Because he takes, man, we've been hammering this. He takes the long view. We live in the short view, and that's all we can think of. But God takes the long view. God is weaving an incredible tapestry, and we're all a thread. And sometimes it's that way, and sometimes it's that way, and we don't understand. Why that way? Let's go this way, not that way. But God goes, no, no, I, I see the big picture. Trust me on this. Dostoevsky, who wrote The Brothers Karamazov and a number of other great books, um, a believer in Jesus Christ, and he said, it is not as a boy that I believe in Christ and confess him. Rather, I confess Christ, my Hosanna, has passed through a great furnace of doubts. He says, I, this, this, this faith of mine has, has been a tough road. So, we dare to doubt. We open ourselves up to grow. Third thing is understand. See, I'm making an acrostic here. It's just brilliant, right? This is, this is going to spell doubt when we're done. <laughs> I hate these things, and I do it. That's the thing, you know, I don't know. I, uh, I had a, I, what am I, don't talk, okay. I had a professor, and he had one of those, and it said, I forbid trial, the whole thing, and everything was a line that meant something, and, and my wife had the same professor, so every once in a while, we, we would just say to other as a, each other as a joke, she'd say something, I'd say, I forbid trial. Well, one time when our daughter Addie was real little, her older sister was telling her she had to do something, and she didn't want to do it, so she looked at her older sister and said, I forbid trial, <laughs> and her older sister said, what does that mean? I don't know. Mom and dad say it all the time. I don't know. So, so that's why I don't like these things, but this one, this one fit, so I went with it. 
So understand something. What do we understand? Two things I really want to hit you with. That doubt, the doubts that you have, and, and I've said this in a sense, are not new probably. They center around issues and questions that have gone on for centuries. Issues that deal with why am I here? Issues that deal with is there a God? Where are we going? How can God be good when bad things happen? Does what I do really matter? Can I trust the Bible? Those are, those are things people have wrestled with for thousands of years. And I want to tell you something. The chances are incredibly slim that you're going to come up with a new take on these things. And if you think you are, who do you think you are, really? Okay, Einstein, let's get over that, right? You realize that what seems unanswerable to you has probably been dealt with by somebody else already. Be humble in your intellect. Let me encourage you in that. Many things that you will hear or read, and they can sound convincing, oftentimes they have been dealt with and proven to be nothing. So understand that. Secondly, understand there's different ways of knowing. Not all of our answers come through sifting through the facts. Sometimes it's the work of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not saying don't sift through the facts, but sometimes it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and he works in ways that are beyond sometimes what we would imagine or think or dream up. He works in ways. And God, he happens, he does things and we begin to understand. We can't force ourselves in some of these things, so don't try, all right? Third one is battle it out with God, okay? Interesting thing, God named his people Israel. Now, why did he name them Israel? Because they came from a man named Israel whose name originally was Jacob. And if you remember the story, it's a great story in the Old Testament that the angel of the Lord, I think God, comes to Jacob in the middle of the night and, and they start fighting right? They start fighting, wrestling and fighting. And Jacob wins. He pays a price for winning, but he wins. And God renames him. He names him Israel, the one who wrestles with God. That's what his name means, the one who wrestles with God, which I'm sure every time somebody called Jacob and they called him Israel, you know, they say, oh, the one who wrestles with God, and, and, and Jacob would say, and, and wins. Just want, you to, just want you guys to know that as he limps away from his hip damage that was permanent from that, that thing. But I want, you to, I want you to think about this. God could have chosen any people that he wanted to choose, any type of people that he wanted to choose. Could have been Docile people, placid people, happy-go-lucky people, easy-to-manage people, always agreeable people, never upset people. I'm reading a list of what the nation of Israel is not in the Old Testament. So instead of reading about the nation of Israel, we could be reading about the nation of, you know, happy-go-lucky or whatever, instead of wrestles with God. And you think about that. Because if someone had come, into, had come to me before we had kids and said, we're going to let you choose your child's temperament, Okay, if they said, we, we can do that, I would not have said, yeah, okay, so I want a kid that fights me. I want a kid that takes me on. I want a kid that challenges me, asks a hard question, disagrees, tries to pin me down. I like a kid that debates me and will never take a simple answer at face value. I'd really enjoy that kind of kid. And I'm telling you what, I really would enjoy that kind of kid. <laughs> Haven't had one yet. I'm not working on it. I, no, okay. Um, 
Yeah, done. Okay, so. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. What does this tell me? This tells me that God places a high premium on relationship. All right? When Jacob wrestles with him, God doesn't go, hey, what, are you crazy? I'm God. You're punk. I could kill you right now. He doesn't. With Job, when Job questions God and says, man, if there was a court, I'd win against God. He's got no case. I got all the case. God doesn't come and say, you idiot, and smack Job. No. He doesn't condemn Job for questioning him. He doesn't condemn him at all. He condemns Job's friends who they thought they were speaking for God. I said, God's uh, not making a good argument, so we'll make it for him. And God says, how dare you? How dare you? think that you speak for me when you don't know what you're saying. So God puts a high premium on relationship. God would rather have our doubts and our messiness than for us to be dishonest or for us to repress those doubts and hold them in because we think that somehow it's not good, doesn't look good for us to be that way. God would rather have an angry prayer that's real than a nice rote prayer that has nothing to do with how we're feeling or what we're going through. God would rather have us engage him as wrestlers, as people who are close enough to him to trust him with everything, than as distant children who could be pleasant and accommodating, but ultimately disengaged. Because ultimately, we need to be grappling with the deep things of our faith. We need to be asking those tough questions, even the questions like, why am I here? Because you got to realize you are not here to hoard things and use up air and have a comfortable life. That's not God's plan for you. Your life may end up being comfortable. That's great, fine. But that's not the point of it. That's not why you're here. And we need to wrestle with those things because wrestling with them will, will cause us to grow. He doesn't need people who are cold or distant or ignore him. Coldness, distanceness, I don't know if that's a word, ignoring a person, that's the death of a relationship. If you're cold and you're distant and you're ignoring someone, it's dead. There's nothing happening there. That's why God doesn't, he'd much rather have you get mad and yell at him. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, now we're, do, now we're working with something here right? Psalm 88, just some, just some little clips from that psalm. I cry out, I cry to you for help, O Lord. Why, Lord, why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? My soul is full of trouble. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Is your love declared in the grave? He's saying, you know, God, you're going to kill me. Does that glorify you? Is your love declared in the grave? Is your faithfulness in destruction? I am in despair. I'm in despair. Okay, this is a person who's right now, and uh, you know, this is in, I love this, this is in the Bible. God said, yep, got to have that in there. Why? Because that's an honest prayer. That's a person who's struggling. I love that. I love that. So dare to doubt. Open yourself up to grow. Understand. Battle it out with God. And finally, trust And the question is, how can I trust and doubt at the same time? Well, you can trust what you do know. And 
even the staunchest atheists trust in things. They believe certain things that they cannot prove. They may trust that someone loves them. There's no way they can prove it for sure. They may trust that life is good. That's an easy one not to, to disprove. They may, they may believe that justice is humane. And you know what? I believe justice is humane. But I believe justice is humane because God says justice is humane. If I, if I take God out of the equation, then I'll say justice is humane. Well, not if it's somebody in my family. That's, too, that's overboard. Not if it's me. You ever notice? You ever notice how we want justice for other people? You know, somebody, somebody zips by us on the interstate going way too fast, and we're like, man, where is a state trooper when you need them? That guy's going to kill somebody. Then a week later, I'm in a bit of a hurry, so I'm passing people, and the state trooper, this didn't actually happen, and the state trooper shows up, and what do I want? I want mercy. I'm, I'm, going, I'm a pastor. I'm going to the hospital to visit someone who's going to die in 10 minutes. Blood's on your hands, pal. You know, it, 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 you, I want, what do I, that's a terrible, I'm sorry. That, that is not in my notes. And we need to edit that out before it goes on the internet. Okay. Um, but here's the thing. I want mercy. I want mercy when it's me. But I want justice when it's somebody I don't like. So a person who says, apart from God, justice is humane, justice is good, they don't really believe that in all situations. They fudge it at times. And so what happens? Now we don't have justice anymore because if we're willing to fudge it in some areas, then we've lost it. And God says, no, there has to be, and God is saying, there has to be an objective outside ruling that says you must be just. Otherwise, if it's just based on us, we will screw it up. And, I mean, just look around the world. We're screwing it up like crazy. All right? So, trusting. We have to understand something. Everybody, everybody believes in things that they can't entirely prove down to the T, right? And for Christians, we may not know the why of a certain situation. We may battle it out with God over things that we don't understand or don't get or don't make sense to us, things that rub us the wrong way. But ultimately, we have to understand something. We have a God who has shown himself to be faithful and loving and good. So when I am in a situation where I may question his love, where I may question his faithfulness, where I may question his goodness, I have a history of things that God has done to reassure me that even though this looks this way in this moment, in time, it will be shown to me that it was loving, it was good, and it was just. Now God doesn't promise we'll see that in, on this earth but he promises we will see it. You know, Scripture talks about there's a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's more than somebody just going to a knee and saying, Jesus Christ, I mean, you know, somebody could say that. It's this idea of people who are suddenly totally convinced Jesus was right, Jesus was it, God did good. I mean, God did right in, in, on, in the whole history of the world. I bow and confess that. We will see it someday, even if we can't see it now. 
And if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I believe any of this stuff. If there is a desire in your heart to know the truth, then uh, I would encourage you just to say, okay, God, if you're there, I want to see, I, I see it happen to me. I, wanna, I want you to show yourself. I want you to reveal yourself to me. I will search for you, and I want you to show yourself to me. Because if you seek him, you will find him. He says, if you search and you mean it, you'll find him. There's a story about a woman named Charlotte Elliott. She lived a long time ago. And she had disabilities that kept her homebound and resentful. And uh, she called a friend who, who was a Christian, asking for answers, wanting to know the why of the pain that was in her life. Why would God do this to me? And this friend told her that in the midst of her anger and her lack of understanding, she could still open her heart to Jesus, even though there's no simple answers to these hard questions that she was asking. And over a period of time, after a lot of struggles, she did that. She opened her heart to Jesus. She became a Christian. And for years, um, she, she kept a diary, and, and, and we can read them. We can read it. She battled doubt and frustration. Her, her situation didn't get any better. Her illness didn't go away. And she had a brother named Henry Elliot, who was very successful. And she envied him. He has good health. He has a family. He's doing great things. He, he, he loved the Lord, and he was doing great things for God. And she just, she, it just irked her. You know, and you can understand how that would happen. It just caused a tremendous amount of frustration. She wanted to go out in the world and help people like he was doing. But she couldn't. She was always home, alone. And in 1836, on the 14th anniversary of the day she accepted Christ, she wrote a song. And uh, some of you might be familiar with it. It's an old hymn. But the third verse... She said, is her. Just as I am, though tossed about, with many a conflict, many a doubt, fighting and fears within and without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. She wrote, just as I am. Now, I was a youth pastor for a long time, and I have seen just as I am abused at youth conferences so many times that sometimes when I hear that hymn, it's, uh, you know, I, I get upset because of emotional abuse. Um, but that part, and, and I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, my, my, uh, I, I have visions of Billy Graham, just, I, just as I am. But I also know this, my wife's parents got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. So if it wasn't for Billy Graham... 20 years of bliss, right? So, so this hymn she wrote, and she just bared her heart. And she said, this is me. I'm tossed to and fro. There's conflict. There's doubt in my life. There's fightings. There's fears inside and outside of me. And yet I come. I'm coming, Jesus, to you. Always coming to you. One time later, someone asked her brother about his life and the accomplishments he had, and he said, they pale in comparison to my sister and what one song has done in the church of Jesus Christ. And so it's an interesting thing as we deal. She was dealing with those dark and deep 
struggles and fears, and it's something that we all can struggle with at times. It is normal. It is not a sign of spiritual weakness. It's a sign of someone who's working it through and working it out. And we encourage you, again, if you're going through something like that, man, talk to somebody. I would love to talk to you. I've been through similar times. Or there are places you can go. I'll just put it up real quick. This is just a few. This isn't, but uh, reasonablefaith.org is, is a tremendous resource by a guy that is uh, incredibly brilliant. Um, Rabbi Zacharias is rzim.org. And then um, bethinking.org is a, is a website. Over in England, it's just some brilliant people. Plus, you know, if you go to bethinking.org, and most of the videos, it's a person with an English accent. So they, sm- they, they, they sound so smart anyways. You know, it just reassures you to hear it. Those are three great sites. You go to those sites and search. You will find stuff that you probably have dealt with in the past and maybe dealing with right now. And I encourage you to do that. They're great resources. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your scripture is true because it deals with us the way we are. You acknowledge that we doubt. You acknowledge that we struggle. You don't push it away. You don't blame. You don't condemn. You work with us. And Father, I thank you that you're that kind of a God, that you'll work with a Jacob and you'll wrestle with him all night that you're the kind of God that would allow him to win because that's what he needed at that time and change his name. And that you're the kind of God that would allow Job to spout off so much stuff about you and that you come with him and you bless him in the long run. And so, Lord, for us, you know every heart in this room. You know those who don't know you, who maybe are just kind of interested or looking or were invited by a friend. And Father, I just pray that you would uh, be making yourself real to them, showing yourself that they would be willing to honestly seek and that you would meet them. And Father, you know there are some here that know your name and live for you, but they're struggling and dealing with deep and dark things. I just pray that you'd give them the wisdom to seek others, give them the, uh, the faith to understand what you may be doing in this situation and to, to act accordingly. And Lord, we pray you give answers too, that you would do that also. But even if you don't, Lord, we trust you because we know that you are love, that you are a good God, and that you have our best interests at heart no matter what we're going through. So Father, we thank you that we can rest in those things, that we have that foundation to stand on as we work out our faith in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take an offering. Um, again, if you are a guest here, please don't feel compelled to give. This is what our regular tenders and our members do as a part of their worship.